0: So when my son was young, he, like um, so many other young children, he really loved animals. He still does, but like when he was little, he was super into animals. Um, And if you know me well at all, you know that my maybe singular uh, phobia that I have in life is I'm terrified of snakes. And um, my son not so much he he was um Wyatt when Wyatt was 2 years old Wyatt was kind enough to um invite Tech to a birthday party in which they brought out a snake and they got to pet it and everything everybody had a good time like looking at me getting back in the corner of the room and not getting close um then for his 3rd birthday Wyatt did it again another snake i don't know why that kid hates me um but but Tech loved petting the snake. And then he would hang around, he would hang around at the state park with Ranger Holly, and, and they had snakes there that they would pet and whatever. And it always freaked me out. I tried to like not ask care, but it would freak me out. And the thing that freaked me out the most about it is that I was always afraid that when we would be out in nature somewhere, um, which nobody will ever convince me that nature isn't trying to kill you at all times. Um, I was terrified that Tech was so young and he was petting these snakes with all these people that he wouldn't know that not all snakes could be pet. Like that there are snakes you try and pet them, they kill you, right? And so it always terrified me. And, and there was one time my wife and I and, and Tech, we were driving back from somewhere and we were going through, we came down through Asheville and we were coming back to Savannah and we're like, oh, let's stop at this overpass and walk down this little trail. There was a view that you could look at and everything. And so we did And we a walking like right off the edge of the path. Like I caught a, a sight of a copperhead that was uh, all just curled up. I'm like, oh man. And I was freaking out. I'm like, where's Tech? Where's Tech? Because I just knew, I just knew that Tech was going to see a snake and want to go pet it. And I'm like, ah, and I freaked out. And all of my, I mean, just my whole life flashed before my eyes. Um, it wasn't dramatic at all. Um, but the point is, the point is, is that there are certain things that we should fear, right? There are, mo- there are certain things that we should be afraid of. It's proper to fear those things. And most of you can identify those things. Um, but there are also things that we should not fear, Right, And part of growth and part of becoming mature is being able to differentiate between those two things, the things that you should fear and the things that you shouldn't fear. But oftentimes the things that we shouldn't fear um, go underground and and we bury those things and we don't even realize that we have those fears, that those things are existing uh, within us. And over time, when we're not even aware of it, those things um, drive our life and wreak havoc in our relationships. We looked at many of the things last week that could fall under that category, the fear of intimacy or failure or abandonment or being left out or poverty or missing out on something or being, being faced with who we actually are or in today's world that we're living in, um, you know, who knows, it could be getting sick and losing your job, all of these things. And many of us were never aware that, that these types of fears we're really dictating our lives to us, right now. Now, if you were and I were to just be together one on one, and we were to have a conversation um, about an issue in your life, it, it would be pretty easy for me to connect it back to a specific fear. Um, but and, and this is what we're going to focus on today with this is behind every fear, there is a common foundational fear. Right, And that, that is this, it's the fear of losing control. That is the foundational fear that lies behind every other fear that you are going to face in your lifetime. The idea of losing control of certain aspects of our life or all of our life, it's terrifying to many of us, right? And behind the fear of losing control is this thought. I don't know if I could handle that. If I were to lose control, I don't know if I could handle that. I don't know if I could handle losing that job. I don't know if I could handle not being financially secure. I don't know if I could handle people finding out about me or a change in that relationship. I don't know if I could handle that commitment. I don't know if I could handle who I am without all of these other things. I don't know. And since I don't know if I can handle it, then I need to do everything in my power to maintain control of my life. Because because I'm afraid if I lose control, I will be pushed down a path that I don't want to go down. That I don't want to go down. And I'm afraid I can't handle it. And as a result, we end up spending a whole bunch of time, effort, and money trying to maintain control in our lives. And the reason is because you're scared. You're scared. You might be like, ah, no, no, no. I'm not scared. What are you talking about? I'm careful. Sure. Right? There are, you know, I'm cautious. There's right ways to do things. You know, you got to do things the right. I do them the right way. To so I say, maybe, but, but you're scared. You're scared. Or, or maybe, maybe let me be more sympathetic about it to you. Um, <clears throat> there's a time in your life where things did get out of control. And you probably didn't handle it very well, right? And the thought of experiencing that again, terrifies you. The thought of going through that situation or a type of situation like that again, where things were going on and there was nothing you could do. That idea is terrifying, right? And now you will do anything to prevent that anything to keep that from happening again. Perhaps, you know, something as terrible as perhaps you were abused as a child. You had no control over that. And the thought of, of being abused any other way, it's terrifying. You, maybe you were a pawn that your parents used for leverage inside of their relationship. Maybe you lost a job and went through tough financial times. There's so many examples I could throw out, but but your life has been driven by never having those feelings again. Never having that feeling of control being outside of your grasp. Now, that being said, wouldn't it be liberating? Wouldn't it be liberating if all of us could get past that, right? If we could get past allowing our fear of losing control to dictate our lives to us, like, could you, could you imagine the change that would exist in your relationships? Because if you could get past these fears and, and, and you'll see this connection in a little bit, but if you could get past those fears, you would be free to love fully. To love fully because love and fear do not go together very well. As we said last week, fear is about my needs. Fear's about my focus being on myself. Love is about the needs of others and putting others above yourself. And as long as I'm committed to controlling my environment based on my fear um, of what if, then I am unable to love the way that God has called me to love. Uh, And that is why unsurfaced fears, undealt with fears, unfaced fears wreak havoc on our relationships. It's why. And if you were here, if you were listening last week, um, it's why I wanted you to begin to do the work to discover the fears that are inside of you, to begin to identify those fears that are driving your behavior. And if we can get this from our heads, an idea in our heads to a, a, a truth in our hearts, we would be better people. We would be better husbands. We'd be better wives. We'd be better parents. We'd be better siblings, better leaders, better friends, better employers, better employees. We would be better. Now today I want to look um, in Mark chapter four. And this is a familiar story, um, but it's one where the disciples lose control of a situation. And it isn't just any situation. It's one that is connected to many of their professions. So they lost a control in an area in which many of them were experts, right? And in the midst of this narrative, there's an insight that the disciples gain through it all. And if we could gain this insight in our own lives, um, it could liberate us relationally, Um, both both relationship with others and relationship with God. So here's how the story goes. Mark chapter four, beginning in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, (laughs) out of context, that just sounds weird. Here's what's happening. They are at the Sea of Galilee right? In the Sea of Galilee, um, if you look at it, it's about 12 miles long, probably about seven miles wide at its widest point. Um, And they had to cross over from the side that they were on to the other side. Evening had come. Uh, We don't know exactly what time it was, but darkness was beginning to set in. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. Now, Mark adds this detail because he knew um, that when people would read this story and other stories that are put in th- throughout the New Testament, that they would read it and they're going to read the story. and They're going to be like, I am so sure that that actually happened. And so anytime Mark has the opportunity to present the fact of, hey, there are witnesses to this event that exists. So why don't you come on down and check it out and talk to the people who saw it themselves. Um, so he would put that in there to kind of add credibility to what it was he was writing. So here they go. They take off. They're out in the boat, crossing over Galilee. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, now the way the Sea of Galilee is set up is that there are, I don't know if I would call them full mountains, but giant hills, but mountains that, that kind of surround the entire um, it's really a lake. It's not a sea, but it's called the Sea of Galilee, but surrounding the entire thing um, so that it would be difficult to see, uh, to see bad weather coming towards you. You wouldn't know it until right before it got to you as it crested over top of those mountains that were surrounding that lake. Um, and so they didn't know it was coming and it was nighttime anyway. You couldn't see a whole lot. And suddenly these experienced fishermen... Most of them were fishermen who knew how to handle a boat, who were no strangers to being out on the water. All of the sudden were surprised by a storm that is now swamping the boat. But luckily they were not alone because Jesus was there. Check it out. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> not not exactly, they were lucky Jesus was with them. Not exactly what they wanted Jesus to be doing at the moment. But in all honesty, haven't you had that feeling before where you were in the middle of something and you could really use God to come through and it seemed like God was asleep? Like he wasn't even aware of what you were going through, of what was happening. Well, the storm's raging. The disciples, you know, are losing control. Um, They're scared. Things are going bad. Here's here's what they do. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now drown is the NIV translation of that word. The literal translation of the Greek phrase there says this, matter it not to thee that we are perishing. (laughs) Right? That's a mouthful. That's a matter it not to it's kind of like a conversation with Yoda matter it not to thee. like, you got to take a second. Wait, what does that mean? But here's the point. It doesn't use the word drown in the literal translation of the Greek. It uses what I think is a better word, perishing, perishing inch by inch, moment by moment with every bit of water that's coming in the boat. We are going down, right? This isn't we're in the water drowning, the, the, this is, we're fighting. We're doing the best we can, but things are getting worse and worse and worse. And before long, we will be done. Matter it not to you, Jesus? Don't you care that we are perishing? Do you ever, you ever, ever pray a prayer like that? Not, not the matter it not to you, but not the, God, do you care? Does it matter to you what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing? Because it seems like you don't. I know I've prayed that kind of prayer. And I'm sure many of you have as well. So sometimes I pray those prayers for myself. Sometimes I pray those prayers on behalf of others. God, don't you care about them? Don't you see what's going on? Don't, don't you see what's happening? God, why, why, won't you, why won't you do something? Right? Don't you care they're perishing? It keeps going, verse 39. He got up, Jesus did, rebuked, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And in that moment, something happened in the hearts of the disciples. And if that thing that happened in their hearts was to happen in us, we would be different people. Look, look at what happens. He says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Now on the surface, that question seems really insensitive. I mean, it seems, it's like, it's almost like he's mocking them, right? Like, like they're standing there. They're drenched from these waves coming into the boat from this storm. There's water sloshing all around in the boat still right? The, the, the sail may be torn to shreds. And he looks at them amidst all of that and says, why are you afraid? Why, why? <laughs> you know, what do you say? Oh yeah, that's right. You were asleep. You missed the whole thing. Jesus asking us why we're afraid. What are you, what are you thinking? And they would say to Jesus, if the moment hadn't been what it was that they had just experienced, Probably the same thing that we would say, right? They would probably say, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you've been paying attention or not, but we almost died. That's why we're afraid, right? In case you weren't clued in son of God, who's supposed to know everything, right? Here's how it works with us mortals, right? Here's how it goes. When life gets out of control, Jesus That elicits fear. Like, and life was really out of control right then. Really out of control. And so we were afraid. We were doing our best and we were going down. And my goodness, how many of you at times in your life feel like you are doing your best and you're going down? And it was as if Jesus wasn't really asking them, why are you afraid? It was more of if he was, as if he was making the point, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. To which we say, wait, 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 what do you mean? I didn't have to be afraid. Jesus, it's cause and effect. Cause and effect. When life gets out of control, we get afraid, right? When we get afraid, we do one of two things. Right? We try and do more and more and more to regain control or we get in bed and we pull the sheets up over our head and we say, I just can't deal. I'm done with it. All right? that, that's, that's how it works. And Jesus looks at them in this very teachable moment. And he says, you didn't have to be afraid. You didn't have to. Implication being just because life spins out of control, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. (laughs) Should we say, no, 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 Jesus. I thought those two went together. Out of control, fear. Out of control, fear. Out of control, fear. They're connected. It's it's the natural course of things. (laughs) Jesus says, "Ah, they don't have to be connected. That's not the way that it has to be. Now, as long as you think you are in control, yes, those two things will always be connected. Well, what I'm trying to teach you, Jesus would say, what I'm trying to teach you is that when life spins out of control, you don't have to be afraid. And wouldn't it be amazing if we got to that point, got to the point of that being more than just an idea in our heads, right? Look what happens. Jesus asked them this. He says, do you still have no faith? And they were probably thinking, well, I guess we don't because we were scared to death. So I don't know. Another F for the disciples. We failed again. Like way way to go, disciples. But listen to what Jesus is saying. And this is so powerful. See, Jesus knew that his time was short. He knew that it was not going to be long before he was out of there. And he was going to send these guys that were standing there soaking wet in the boat. He was going to send these guys into the world with the most important message in all of history. And he knew that they were going to face many storms that would make the episode that they just went through seem like a day in a water park. And he knew that as long as they thought, hey, because my life is out of control, it must be out of God's control as well. As long as they thought, hey, because I can't handle it, that must mean God can't handle it either. That as long as they had the, the, the idea of, because I'm gripped with fear, God must not be paying attention to my life. He knew that as long as that was the connection that they were making between out of control circumstances and fear and how they saw God in all of it, he knew that that they would never be able to accomplish their purpose. They would never be able to fulfill what he needed them to do to spread the message out of the first century. And Jesus knew what was in their future. He, He knew that these men would die as martyrs. And he knew that in those moments, if they equated God's faithfulness faithfulness with, with their ability to control their circumstances, that they would abandon the faith. They would abandon it. And Jesus all throughout his ministry was demonstrating time and time again, you have got to separate those two things. You've got to separate the the circumstances of your life being out of control and whether that means God cares about you and is paying attention to you. Life can be out of control and God still be in control. That's a tough one. But listen, just because you are no longer in control doesn't mean that God isn't. And somewhere along the way, Somewhere along the way, you have to shift your allegiance from your ability to control. You got to shift it to God's ability to control. That, that, that's why he could look at them with a straight face with everything that they had just experienced with that storm and say, why were you afraid? Because, because we, yeah, 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 yeah. But but God. But God, why were you afraid? Why were you afraid? And when you get to the point where you can accept that God is in control, listen, it will set you free. It'll set you free. You will no longer be controlled by or driven by your fear. And this is the, this is the best part of the story. Verse 41, they were terrified. And to be honest, I feel bad for these guys, right? They had just been through this whole ordeal, thought they were going to die, finally relaxed when the waves stopped. Now they're terrified. And Mark, when he's writing, he put two Greek words together that that was translated terrified. But it, it was one verb and one noun that literally means they feared a great fear. They fear. It was like saying, it's like they were saying, okay, that storm was scary and it frightened us, but that we are in the presence of someone who can control that storm, that's a whole different category of fear. Like we don't even know what to do with that. And it's like their reverential fear of Christ overshadowed the fear that they had for their circumstances from that storm that surrounded them, Right? And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we could live life from the vantage point of fearing a great fear? That is whatever this is going on around us that would normally make us afraid, God has control over that. And that power is even more fear inducing, right? God is in control. So they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And here's the irony. Like the wind and the waves obey him. But a lot of times we don't obey him. The wind obeys him. And the truth, this truth, it sank deep in their hearts. And they went on to change the world. And when their circumstances were spinning out of control all around them, they never once thought God had lost control. They never recanted their faith. They never feared for their lives like that. Again, not because things worked out, because they didn't work out according to our definition of working out but because they knew God was in control. See, here's what happens. We confuse our inability to control our outcomes with God's inability to control our outcomes. Because see, when things get out of control, we tend to go into control mode right? We get busy, we get active, we get controlling, we get emotionally involved and become a different person. How many people do you know that like when something's going on and they feel themselves losing control, they become a completely different person and they're a bit much to handle. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You might just want to avoid them for a while. Once things settle down and are back in control, they'll be nice again, but mm, not now. And it's because we think we can't handle things. Well, then God must not be able to handle them either. And God would say, no, no, no. The problem is you are trusting in your ability to control things, but you're not in control and you never have been. Control is a myth. It doesn't exist. You don't have it right? We spend our lives living under the myth of control. But listen, you cannot control other people. You can't control the economy. You can't control the weather. You can't control a pandemic. You can't control elections. You do not have control. Even if you're the person in charge, you don't have control. And we feed this myth in our life with, ever, with not even meaning to, not even realizing it. And over time, we learn to depend on our ability to control outcomes. And then when the outcome refuses to be controlled, we freak out and we panic and we fear. And Jesus looks at our boat full of water and, he, and the shredded sails of our life. And he says, But why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And and the moral of the story is this, is that we must learn to transfer our confidence and our ability to control things to God's ability to control things. That's where our confidence must lie. We must make a mental adjustment. Yes, I need to be responsible. Right yes you know I want to be a good spouse I want to be a good par- parent I want to be a good worker God has given me responsibility but God has not given me control Those are two very different things Only God is in control And that means asking ourselves asking ourselves how does a person who just lost their job respond if they know God is in control Right? How does a person whose spouse just walked out on them respond when they're confident that God is still in control? How, how, does, how does a college student respond when they don't get into the graduate school they wanted to get into when they know God is in control? Right? What happens when, when the person of your dreams rejects you? What happens when the deal falls through and doesn't happen? What happens when the market drops? What happens when schedules are rendered worthless? What happens when sickness grips a nation? How do we respond to all of that if we know that God is in control? And when you see people who get this, it's absolutely amazing. It's almost unbelievable when you see it. As circumstances all around them seem to be going to hell, they are calm and they have this unwavering sense of stability and confidence in God. And many of you have lived or are living a life that is driven by fear because you are operating under the myth that you think you are in control of your life. So here's your assignment for this week. I want you to memorize a verse. you you me memorize this verse. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What would happen? What would happen in your life? What would happen in your family? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our community? If Christians really believe this, If if that truth moved from just being an idea in our head to a reality in our heart, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. That would change everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you um, for the challenges that you offer to us. Lord, for us to stare down our fear and ask ourselves the question, why am I afraid? Lord, that's a challenge. But God, that, that's, that's one that I accept and that I am extending to everyone who is listening to this. God, I pray that you continue over this next week to, to reveal our fears to us, those things that are, are driving us, that are controlling us. And Lord, let us ask the question, why am I afraid? Because the truth is we're afraid because we're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of that because we know we really don't have control. But Lord, you are with us. So God, help us to get to the place where we can honestly say, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.